All right, well, amen and amen, and good morning again, church family. Are you well? That's awesome. Hey, if you're a kid in the room, first grade through fifth grade, would you show our adults how it's done, please? When I ask you if you're doing well, would you lift up a shout and say, woohoo, or yeah, I'm doing good. Okay, so on the count of three, kids, are you doing well? One, two, three. There it is. All right, thank you, Eli, for the extra special effort there. That was awesome. Uh, hey, my name is Brian Alderman. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's my joy to get to bring you God's word today. If you've got a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, Matthew chapter 7 is where we will be toward the end of that chapter today. Uh, and man, let me just again be among the first to say it to you. Granted, it's early, uh, but happy almost New Year to you, right? It is uh, I'm kind of Old Year Sunday, because we're not quite in the new year, but we get one last chance to ring out God's praise in the year of 2023. I encourage you to take that opportunity today as you prepare to celebrate for the new year, um, and as we worship him on what a lot of people in church leadership refer to as Youth Pastor Sunday, right? The reason for that uh, is because it's the end of the year, everybody's busy and tired and burnt out, and so the pastor, having one more opportunity for vacation and getting away, gladly says, you know who needs a rep? The youth pastor needs a rep. And so they give it to him and he gets to preach uh, today. It's, it's also a day that um, in less spiritually mature settings is, uh, you know, one where attendance is maybe not quite as remarkable as it is. And so again, they call it Youth Pastor Sunday for all these reasons. But you are not like that, Liberty, and I'm thankful for you. And I should make known to you that Pastor Tim had every intention to preach uh, to you today, but just given family circumstances and everything that's going on there, uh, he decided wisely that it would be best for him to devote his attention to his family last week and not to the preparation of a sermon. And so he uh, asked if not the student pastor, but the serve pastor would be willing, and I gladly said yes. So thank you for the opportunity to get up here and deliver God's word. I appreciate you more than I can say. Uh, man, 51 weeks ago, 51 long weeks ago, we kicked off the year uh, and we launched into a sermon series on the gospel, right? The gospel above all. That was what we titled it. Spent five weeks talking about how the gospel really should be the defining focus of everything that we do at Liberty and encouraged you guys to have gospel conversations with your neighbors, your family members, and community members around you. And you took that challenge up and throughout the year we've been able to celebrate with you how many gospel conversations you have had with one another in your life groups, at homes, and certainly in the community as well. We've seen some of the fruit of that and are praying that God will continue to do immeasurably more with it as we go along. We did a series on the Beatitudes where we studied those first few verses in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about kingdom living and what that looks like. Uh, we spent a few weeks in a series called Abide, uh, pressing into our quiet time and spending time with the Father. We, um, we pressed into also some of just the most difficult topics that are around in our society today, uh, back around Easter. Now, the series called Let's Talk About It. Uh, and then we spent um, the, the fall in a series uh, marching slowly through the book of Philippians and talking about all the wonderful things that God had for us to learn through that letter. And as we came to the close of the year, we opened up this series on generosity, believing that it was critical for us in the Christmas season to press into one another in this great work of fueling the mission of God through the local church. And specifically for those of you that are here in this room, those of you that are in the East Venue, those of you that are joining us online, fueling God's mission through Liberty Baptist Church. 
Again, we didn't launch into this series because you are not a generous church, but because you are. And because we believe that generosity is such a critical component to who we are as a faith family that it was important for us to remind you God so loved that he gave his only son. And so we also, loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts, should, should be ready to give uh, in all circumstances. And so I hope that this has been a great series for you. Today we get to close it out and we'll look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in order to do so. Uh, but the question that's really going to hang over our message today is, is this one, and I want you to lock into it. The question is, will it last? All the lessons that you've learned this year from the gospel above all through Philippians and generosity, will it last, brothers and sisters? See, it's really easy to pick up a good work or to change an attitude or change a habit. It's a lot harder to make an enduring practice, something that goes on. And so that's what I want to encourage you today. The end of Matthew uh, 7 is the close of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, that will ever be preached. So I'm off the hook. I don't have to do that today, and none of us have to do it in our lives. Jesus has already done it, and he has covered the lot of topics. I mean, he has talked about everything from sex and marriage uh, and adultery and lust. He's talked about murder. He's talked about money. He's talked about relationships. He's talked about true and proper worship. He's covered all the different aspects of God's law and how uh, a follower of Jesus, a kingdom citizen, should live. And in the masterful summary of that sermon that Matthew gives us, it records Jesus' very words we get to see this incredible encouragement from the very lips of our Savior. But he closes it off with this passage that we're about to read in Matthew 7, 24 through 29, with a story of a couple of builders. So if you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 7, and if you're able to stand, then here in the worship center, out there in the East Venue, uh, live stream, wherever you find yourself today, would you stand to say, God, we honor your word. We want to hear what it says And we want to listen to what you have to say for us today. Uh, You read along uh, as I read out loud Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and they pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your word. And we do ask that in this time you will add your blessing to it, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move and speak throughout the room to your people, myself included, who need to hear from you as we wrap up this year. I pray, Lord, that you will be honored and glorified in our response to you this morning and ask this in Jesus' name. Once again, all God's people said... Amen. Y'all may be seated. 
So if you are in the room with us today, the chances are good uh, that you have experienced what we in Christian life call a camp or conference high. You know what I mean? Like after you go to camp, after you go to a conference, there's great teaching, uh, good small group discussion, all these kinds of things. You come back and you are on fire for the Lord Jesus. I mean, you're just ready to storm the gates of hell with a super soaker and the devil's got nothing on you. You're, you're ready to charge it down. Uh, and, and, and I imagine that a lot of people who attended the Sermon on the Mount were probably in the same boat. I mean, they heard these words of Jesus, and they're thinking like, holy cow, this is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. I mean, the type A personalities there in the crowd would have grabbed a rock and flint and scratched down as many notes as they could have while Jesus was teaching. And on the way home, it would have prompted all sorts of discussion and conversation that they're having one another. And they would have, you know, dug into Jesus' words and, and studied it and thought about it the whole way home. But here's what happens with camp and conference and sermon highs. See, after the great experience, reality has to return. You come home and you get smacked in the face, right? The, uh, maybe the kids are still as wild as they were before you went to camp. Maybe the marriage still has its ups and downs. Maybe the finances are not where you want them to be. And then the stress compounds and all the great things that, that, that were taught to you from God's word or in this case from the very lips of Jesus... They spill right out the back of your mind because the distractions of life set back in. See, here's the point that Jesus wants to press into us today. There are two types of people. There are wise people and there are foolish people. And it all hinges not on whether you heard the words of Jesus, but on whether you put the words of Jesus into practice. Not on the hearing, but on the doing. Not on the listening to God's word, but on the response to God's word. So friends, you and I have to decide today, how are we going to respond to God's word? Now, uh, I'm going to give you numerical points, one, two, three, and four. Unfortunately, I did not give you sermon notes for this morning. And so if you've got a blank sheet of paper, you can write these down. If not, there's space in the app where you can just punch in blank notes. Please forgive me. Someone better than me would have gotten you sermon notes, but I did not. So alas, here we are. Uh, number one is this, wise people live according to the Creator's commands. Wise people live according to the Creator's commands. Verses 24 and 25. Again, there's two builders. One is wise, one is foolish. Now, both of these builders set about the work of building a house, a shelter. Uh, both of them experience the same kinds of storms, right? Uh, the rain falls down, the river rises up, the winds blow and beat against the house. Uh, one of them sets about the important work of digging down before he builds up. He digs down to the rock. He lays a foundation. And it's important for us to know that the concept of foundation, uh, of using a foundation before you built a structure like a house, was not new. I mean, civilizations had been using concrete or some sort of rocky foundation for, you know, centuries before Jesus walked and, and taught this, uh, this sermon. So here's the thing. He's not really advocating for, like, some supernatural wisdom that only the elite followers of God have. This is common sense, which, yeah, I know that common sense is less common today. But still, what Jesus is saying is like everybody knows you're supposed to put a foundation down before you build a structure up. 
Now, when, um, with respect to generosity, you need to understand that Jesus is saying, hey, wise people uh, don't just build their houses on foundations. They put into practice the word of God. Wise people put into practice the things that Jesus has said throughout his sermon. So, with respect to generosity, here's the point. Act on what Jesus has said throughout the sermon, throughout the series that we've done in the month of December, right? Act on the fact that God loves a cheerful giver. Act on the fact that Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. God has those things taken care of. Don't worry about them. Act on his call to store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. Act on his call to act like things of eternity are eternally important and things that are earthly are maybe not so much. Act on those things. Practice them. Put them into practice in your life and you too will be a wise person. Not just with generosity, when it comes to all of life. Friends, when temptation rises up against you, Put on the armor of God, fight against it, and remember that Jesus is better and he's worth it. When it comes to the anxiety that cripples your mental health and your um, state of mind, remember God's promises spoken over you in his word. Write them down, memorize them so that you can rehearse them and run them through. When it comes to your calendar, man, plan your life like you're investing in heavenly treasure. When it comes to, again, your finances or your relationships or your discipleship, your food, your friends, all of these things, plan and prioritize them around the word, brothers and sisters. That's how you live with wisdom. I want you to note that in the story Jesus tells, the storms don't skip the wise person. He experiences the exact same storm, and it's a big one. Big time rain coming down, you know, and big time rivers rising up and winds blowing and beating against his house. But he's not worried. He's confident. Why? Because he knows that he did the work of digging a foundation and then built his house on that. So let the rain fall. Let the winds blow. Let the storms of life come. I'm good because my foundation is set. What about you? In your life, have you built on the rock by practicing the teaching of Jesus? Is your foundation steady because you have put his word into practice? If it's not, then there's never a better day to start being wise than today. Because friends, storms don't skip wise people or foolish people. The storms will come for you and I too, and we need to be ready. Number two on your non-sermon notes is this. Foolish people live according to their own desires. Foolish people live according to their own desires. The builder in the story that Jesus tells refuses to lay down a foundation. I mean, this is crazy. Like, imagine the people that walk by as this guy is building, you know? Uh, imagine the conversations that they're having, the things that they're talking about. Um, you know, everybody's like seeing what he's doing here, and it's like, hey man, have you... Have you seen old Joe's house? Like, he's just putting his two-by-four straight in the sand. I mean, does he actually think that's going to work? Everybody around him knows it's not going to work. 
But that's what he's rolling with. And so this probably would have drawn some, some sneers or some chuckles from the audience at the Sermon on the Mount because this builder, there's only one word to describe him. He's a fool. Actually, the, you know, the, the Greek word is the word that we get our word moron from. His project was doomed from the very start. And the question that has to come to all of us is like, why? Why would you skip the most important part of the building process? But this is what Jesus is doing with this story, brothers and sisters. He's making the point screaming obvious in the analogy. But in real life, there's a lot of us, maybe even some of us in this room, who we also skip that important work of building a foundation underneath us. We hear God's word, but as soon as we walk out the doors, we forget it. We, we go and we experience great Bible teaching, but as soon as it comes time to actually apply it in our lives, it disappears. And so as painfully obvious as it is for the man who refuses to put a foundation down before he builds his house, man, it should be that obvious for us. In the life of following Jesus. See, we all know what's going to happen. The same storm comes and it visits the, the foolish person. The wise person is sitting on his concrete floor, enjoying the security of a house that's well built. Foolish person is panicking. For whatever reason, he skipped that foundation. Man, I was too busy or I got distracted or somebody sold me a quick fix of how you could put a two-by-four in the sand and it wouldn't fall over. Well, now the fear sets in of, uh-oh, I think I've done something wrong. Because the rains come down and the rivers rise up and the winds blow and they beat against that house and it collapses. More than that, Jesus says it collapses with a great collapse. You've probably seen some videos of buildings that they demolish, right, or put the explosives into and just watch them kind of neatly fall down on top of themselves. I don't imagine that's the image that Jesus has in his mind. I imagine he sees this person's house and it's standing at one moment providing shelter from the rain and the next moment, collapse. Jesus is making a number of points here. One of them that we cannot forget is that one day all of us will stand before the throne of judgment. And if we have not built our lives on the word of God, then whatever house we've built up with the life that we've lived, it's going to collapse. That same kind of great collapse. And so friend, if you are in the room this morning and you have not yet put that foundation of knowing and trusting and believing in Jesus Christ for your salvation... If you've not put that down yet, then it is time. Because you don't know how many days are left in your life. And so it's time now to put that foundation underneath you and trust in Jesus. With respect to generosity, um, and watch your toes, friends. I hope you wore your steel-toed boots today. You're a fool when you ignore Jesus' teaching on generosity. And on money in general, 
And listen, this goes for all of us. Every age that's in the room, right? If you're a teenager or if you're single and you've got your first full-time job and you're making some money or if you're one of those couples that's double income, no kids or dinks as we call you or if you're young families or old families or empty nesters or older adults, wherever you are, if you are blessed by the Lord to receive income and you reject his teaching that says to be generous, then you're a fool, I don't know how else to say it. And truthfully, friends, it's not me saying it. You go home if you want to and read through the whole Sermon on the Mount. Read what Jesus teaches you. And then read this closing passage again where he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house right into the sand. And it collapsed with a great collapse. So friends, don't be foolish. Respond to the Lord's call to be generous. Again, I'm not trying to beat you down. Listen, I I love you guys, and I know that so many of you are so generous already. You really do embody this as a church family, but man, if you are in the room and you're at zero with respect to your giving, then it is time. It's time to start. With respect to all of life, I mean, it just really is easy to be a fool. I mean, this guy heard the words of Jesus, but he never did a thing about it. Listen, how easy is it to hear? I mean, you can't, you can't close your ears, right? Like you can plug them or you can put cool noise canceling earphones into them, but some sound is still always going to slip into those ears because you can't close them. It's really easy to hear. It's really hard to obey. We've got to do the hard work of being obedient to Jesus in all of life. And that means believing what he says. That means that God is the authority even on the things that are unpopular today. When it comes to sex and money and gender and all of these kinds of things, God's word is final. Our opinion does not count. So friends, don't be be fools. Hear the word of the Lord. And respond to it. I want to to remind you that Jesus is telling this story. He's preaching this sermon to a crowd of people. And the reality is there's not just one fool in this crowd. There's a lot of them. And we see that as the sermon comes to its close. Again, point number three is that foolish people are wowed by Jesus but it stops there. Foolish people are wowed by Jesus, but that's it. The Bible says the crowds were astonished. And listen, I hope that we're astonished too. I hope that you're wowed with Jesus. I hope that when you hear his word to you, you're like, man, isn't our Lord wise? Isn't he loving? Isn't he amazing? Hasn't he worked a great salvation for us? Isn't he wonderful, this Jesus that we worship? I I hope that that's you. I hope that that's me. But, but it can't stop there. See, there are those who walk away with no intent to change anything. The crowd is astonished by the teaching of Jesus, but there are those in the crowd who have no intention of putting anything that he said into practice. They're inspired by Jesus, but they're not moved to make any difference in their life. What about you? With respect to generosity, you'll see this in people because 
they'll toss a 20 in the plate after something good, you know? A, a good, entertaining, build-you-up, inspirational service, they'll open the pocketbook and toss something in. Or maybe every once in a while, they'll give a big gift just to get God off their back, to deal with the conviction that they feel that they know they really should be giving, but they don't make it a regular habit. And so they'll just do this to kind of get rid of the conviction. Friends, when it comes to your generosity, don't, don't stop at being wowed by Jesus. Don't tip God. Give him everything. Put it all on the table and say, Lord, it's yours. Whatever you want to do with it, however you want to use it, it's yours. It's not mine anyway. I can't take it with me. So you take what you want, Lord, and, and I'll use the rest, trusting that you're going to help me make do with what I have left over. And let me promise you something, friend. He will. With respect to all of life, you may have heard of the name Soren Kierkegaard. He was a philosopher um, back in the day. And he made a really helpful distinction between Jesus' admirers and Jesus' followers. He said the church in the Christian West has really settled for making Jesus' admirers when Jesus never wanted admirers. Jesus wanted followers. An admirer comes to the Sermon on the Mount, they hear Jesus teach, they walk away thinking, wow, that was amazing, and they marvel at him, but they have no intent to upend their lives and follow after him. The excuses come running. I'm too busy. What are we going to do with the kids? Our schedule's jam-packed. We don't have the finances to start contributing to the work of God. And all these excuses that fill up their minds, prevent them from actually following Jesus. So let me just warn you and let me warn myself today. Be careful when you walk away from God's word thinking, wow. And that's as far as it goes. Be careful. And listen, I love and appreciate your encouragement, okay? And we all do as your staff team. But be careful, brothers and sisters, when you walk up to a preacher and say, good sermon, and you have no intent to actually do anything about it. You are building sandcastles. The rain's going to fall. The waves are going to come. And that sandcastle is going to get flattened. And I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want it for my family. I don't want it for my kids. I'd much rather build on a solid foundation. See, it's not enough for us to be church people. That's why when it comes to our measures, those marks of discipleship, we say it's not enough to be students only. You know, it's not enough. Even if you know the whole Bible from cover to cover, that's great. I'm proud of you. But the old quote when it comes to the Bible is, I'm far more educated than I am obedient. So I want to challenge you. As much as you study, live changed. Live different. Put it into practice. Employ your great understanding of God's word so that you can be as obedient as you are educated or at least strive to that end. And know, 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 know that there is grace for you and I and that Jesus has covered our mistakes. But that doesn't excuse us from striving for righteousness. We need to not stop short at being amazed by Jesus. That's what foolish people do. Wise people go one step further. Number four, 
Wise people follow Jesus. Wise people follow Jesus. If you flip back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say something really incredible, and I'm going to try and walk this out for you. Uh, This introduces, right before Jesus opens his mouth to begin teaching, here's what it says. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them saying, and he launches into the sermon. So did you catch it? Who's the Sermon on the Mount for? Is it for the crowd? It's not. They got to hear it, but it wasn't for them. The Sermon on the Mount was not for the crowd. It was for the disciples. It was for those 12 young men, probably teenagers, most of them, Teenage boys, that's who this sermon was for. That's who it was all about. Those disciples who came to him, these disciples continued coming to Jesus through all of their lives. After he called them to follow him and to be his 12 disciples, they kept on coming back. There were some moments where Jesus gave some really hard teaching. And we actually have it recorded in John that John, the gospel writer, is like, after Jesus taught these things, many people turned back from following him because the teaching was too hard to accept. You know who didn't run away? Those 12 disciples didn't run away. They stayed there and they came to Jesus again. They kept on coming to him. Even on the night when he was betrayed by one of them, the disciples came to him. Now, yes, they scattered. Remember, I talked about how there's grace for you and I. We will make mistakes and sin still in this life. But Jesus' power will always bring us back so that we can come to him again. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus dies, he's buried, something funky goes on with the tomb, some women come and they tell the disciples something's going on, we think Jesus is raised to life, and two disciples choose to come to Jesus again. They go running. Actually, John outruns Peter. He's so proud of it that he brags about it in his gospel when he writes and says, I got there first because I was faster, right? Uh, They come to Jesus again in that moment, and then Jesus comes to the rest of the disciples. He proves himself to them, and then one last time, before he ascends to be with the Father again, Jesus 12 or 11 at that point and the, the rest of them that came with him, they come to Jesus once more at the Mount of Ascension. When Jesus is about to lift uh, and fly back, float back up into the clouds, this is going to have to be the craziest thing of all time, right? Can you imagine this? Uh, but he ascends into heaven to be with the Father. Before he does that, they come and they see one last glimpse of Jesus' teaching where he says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember this, guys. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, these disciples didn't give up on Jesus when it got hard. They didn't give up on Jesus when they couldn't understand what he was talking about, and there was plenty of that. They didn't give up on Jesus when his teaching uh, annoyed them or bothered them or convicted them. They did not walk away. They kept on coming back. That's what you and I have to do in order to be wise. So with respect to generosity, the point is this. Give and keep on giving. Keep coming back to Jesus and saying, here I am, my time, my talent, my treasure. They're all yours, Lord. Take what you need. Because your heart will pull you away. And the Spirit will convict you to come back. So keep on coming back. 
The question that I asked at the beginning, that's the title of this sermon, will it last? Well, friends, the answer to that is yes, if Jesus is Lord in your life. You'll keep on coming back to him over and over again so that the pattern will last. And this doesn't just have to do with generosity. It has to do with all of your life. See, following Jesus is what you and I were made to do. This is the most important call that you'll ever receive in this life. And as wonderful as it is to, you know, to find a job, to find a spouse, to buy a house, all of these things are great. The most important thing that you can ever do, most important decision that you can ever make is to follow Jesus and to keep coming back to him again and again. So when it's hard, when grief knocks you off your feet and lands you on the ground, come back to Jesus. When your mind is frazzled and you can't make sense of even the most basic things because you can't get your thoughts to stop spinning, come to Jesus and follow him again. When you've sinned for the thousandth or the hundred thousandth or the millionth time, and fall and pray to the same temptation that's captured you again and again. Come to Jesus and follow him. When you're tired, when you're lonely, when life hurts, when you think to yourself, it's a new year and I have every reason to be excited about the prospect of the new year, but I just can't get there. Friend, won't you come to Jesus and follow him and know that no matter what happens, no matter the rain, no matter the floods or the rivers, no matter the winds that beat against your house, that house is not going to fall because it's built on the rock. You know, the average American household has 4.4 Bibles in it. Do you know that? Now, I'm sure that like Kaylee and I, we're making up for like at least 10 houses that don't have any Bibles in them uh, because of how many Bibles we have in our house. When I was in high school, I wrote a short little article or paper, and the title of that paper was, How Many Bibles Will It Take? The problem, my friends, in where we are today as Christians, as the Christian West, is not a lack of knowledge about what we should do. It's a lack of obedience to what we know to do. Listen, it's really easy to point fingers at people out there who know better and should live better. But why don't we start in here? Why don't I start in here? Because if I do that, and if you do that, then we'll start building a lot of houses on solid foundations. And eventually, we'll be a church that's exactly like Jesus had in mind when he said, I want you to be a shining city on a hill. The world will see that light and they'll come to it. So it's not about how many Bibles you have in your home. One's enough. If you have 40, that's okay too. It's about whether or not you're willing to read it and practice what it says. This is the call to you today. And this is exactly where we're going to start the, 20, uh, the, the new year in 2024 as next week we dive in to a series called More Like Jesus about growing to look like our Savior. 
But let me just challenge you with this as we prepare to close it down. Would you just take a little bit of time today? Take a little bit of time today and take stock as you prepare for 2024. Are you admiring Jesus or are you really following him? If you don't know how to follow him, then the great news is there's a lot of people here who would be glad to help you do so. And we look forward to that journey together. But let me ask you, what will be different in 2024? What's going to be different about the way that you listen to and follow the Lord Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for loving our world with a greater love than any man had ever known. So much so that you gave your only son, our Lord Jesus, gave up his life. He died the death that we should have died. And he was raised to life for both our justification and for our salvation. Lord, so that we could be made right with you and so that we could spend eternity with you. Being a people whose hearts have been washed clean because of the word that was spoken to us. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray for everybody that's in this room, everybody that's in the East Venue down the hall, and everybody that's online with us. I pray that in this moment, they would resolve to not be admirers of you, Lord Jesus, but to be truly followers of you. Not people who shove two-by-fours in the sand and hope that it's good enough, but people who build on the solid and sturdy rock. Pray that in 2024, we as a church, as Liberty Baptist, would be known in our community as a people who love the Word of God. And maybe even more than loving to study and know the Word of God, may we be known as a people who love to live the Word of God. So Jesus, help us in this moment to respond, to confess where we've not followed you closely, to praise you where your Spirit has empowered us to do the right thing and to resolve that, Lord, with your help and by your grace, we're going to do a new thing in 2024. And maybe it even starts today. So Jesus, move in this time, move in this moment, we pray in your name. And all God's people said, amen.